0: Well, let me encourage you to pick two things up, uh, a Bible, and uh, to turn uh, with me to page 969, uh, Matthew chapter 5. The other thing that you might like to do is to grab hold of this uh, sermon outline uh, that I hope was uh, tucked inside uh, your uh, service sheet as you came in, and that will help you to see where we're going in the next few moments. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 37, right at the bottom of the page, Jesus said, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Uh, My, how we need to hear that today. Uh, In almost every area of life, duplicity is rife. Uh, In the world of business, the city used to be run on the uh, maxim, my word is my bond, but not anymore. Shake on a deal today and you have absolutely no confidence it will happen until it is signed, sealed and delivered. Uh, Take politics, it it is awash with spin and so we, the general public, are never quite sure if what we're hearing is the plain and simple truth or not because the plain meaning of what was promised is regularly explained away, oh, it didn't actually mean that. And then, of course, there's the expenses scandal. In The Times today are revelations about an hereditary peer who exploited a loophole in allowances to gain a whopping £140,000 for himself. Oh, you know, I could go on and on, and you could too. In every area of life, I find myself unable to take people at their word. Don't you find that? That When people knock at the door, are you just a bit wary of what they really mean? So we feel the need all the time to read the small print when we enter into a mobile phone contract or take out an insurance policy. We can't just trust people, can we? Life, of course, would be so much more straightforward if we lived out Jesus' words here in verse 37. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Say what you mean and mean what you say. That's what he's saying here. Now, as we've seen over these last few weeks, Jesus is teaching us that the depth of discipleship when it comes to speaking the truth. I'd be surprised if any of us here in this room would want to argue that telling lies is a good thing. I'd be most surprised if any here were happy to be called a liar. Indeed, can you think of anything that is more offensive? Well, there are more offensive things, but it would offend, wouldn't it? And I doubt anybody here would want to have a reputation of being a liar. But hold on to your seats this evening. Because it's been uncomfortable for me as I've been studying this, when it comes to truth-telling, Jesus wants us to be exemplary And I found myself looking at this and seeing that I've been exposed again and again. Before we look at the detail in the verses, let me remind you of of the context of Matthew chapter 5. If you've been here these last couple of weeks, do you remember the key verses at the beginning of the chapter? Chapter 5 verse 1 and uh, 2. Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And here we've been seeing that here is the Lord Jesus up a mountain, teaching his disciples what? Teaching the law of God. And we've seen in this last couple of weeks how that mirrors Exodus chapters 19 and 20, where in Exodus chapter 19, the Lord Almighty was up a mountain. And then in chapter 20, how he gave the law, crucially, to those who had already been saved, those who'd already been rescued from Egypt. So remember this. This is not how I am saved, but how as a saved person I should live. See, God's law was never given as a way to be saved, but as a way for God's people to live. And we Christians should love God's law. For you see, God's law reflects God's character. The law of God is not a a random list of rules. I wonder if you've ever made this connection. It is uh, completely reflecting the character of God. So God says do not murder. Why? Because he is a life giver. He says do not commit adultery because he is faithful. He says do not steal because he is a generous God who gives. He says do not lie. What we're going to look at tonight. He says do not lie because he is truthful. He is the truth. Do you see then how the law of God reflects the character of God? And so we will love the law as Christians and we will indeed want to live the law and indeed as we live the law of God, it will reflect God's character to those around us. And that's what we find in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. See, these famous words, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. You Christian people, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and what? Praise you, no, praise your Father in heaven because the way you live should reflect how great God is. Do you see? So as a Christian, you see, the more I live this stuff, the more people will want to know why I live this way and the more then people will want to follow Jesus and so give praise to our Father in heaven. So no, living this is not about me getting to heaven, but it's a a reflection of, of having been rescued by God. I long to live the best I can. And it's about glorifying him and indeed helping others to get to heaven, as they see my life significantly different from those around me. And so this evening, uh, Jesus will be challenging us to be uh, people of truth. And we'll see how crucial that is, because our telling the truth will point people to the truth that is Jesus Christ. See, we live in this world that is so full of deception and dishonesty. We live in a world where where the plain truth is in very short supply. And that is exactly the same world that Jesus lived in as well. Which is why he said, verse 33, Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, don't swear at all. Don't make oaths at all. And so the first point on the handout, uh, Crossed fingers, the way of the Pharisees. See, the words in verse 33 are not a a direct quotation from the Old Testament, but it is a very good summary of Old Testament law when it came to the truth. Uh, For example, I've written down there Numbers 30 verse 2. It goes like this. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he must not break his word but must do everything he said. It's basically saying keep your promises. It was a, a command to foster truth to make sure people didn't make promises that they wouldn't keep. Uh, Because when we live by our word, it makes life so much more straightforward. Uh, The Old Testament law then was given to better life. And it did that until the Pharisees got hold of it. See, as we've seen before, rather than live by the spirit of the law, the the Pharisees twisted the law. They had an approach to the law that that Hugh Palmer, the previous uh, uh, vicar of this church, calls fingers crossed. Do you remember how it went when you were kids? You'd promise something while you were playing with your little friends. But when it came to it and you didn't do it, they'd say, but you promised. And you'd reply, yes, but I didn't have my fingers crossed, so it doesn't count. Do you remember that? Fingers crossed its a sort of sneaky way of getting out of doing what you said you'd do. And of course, it didn't actually have to be your fingers. It could be your legs or your arms or anything, as long as it was crossed at the time of making the promise fingers crossed, a sort of clever escape clause to get out of an obligation. The Pharisees played that sort of game. Uh, we see it more as we as we uh, move on in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, come on to chapter 23. We're going to come straight back to chapter 5. So uh, keep something, a finger or a, or a, a, a service order in chapter 5. And, and come on to chapter 23. And I think it's even clearer here. Page 992. Just Just see the... Just see the way they played this game, fingers crossed. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 16, page 992. Jesus speaking to uh, to the Pharisees. Woe to you blind guides. Chapter 23, verse 16. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? How do you see the games they were playing? So you're, you're in discussion with a Pharisee. And he says, I promise you on the temple that I'll support you in this, temp- in this decision. That sounds tremendous. But it wasn't worth the paper it was written on, you see, verse 16. If anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if the Pharisee promised by the gold of the temple, well, then he was bound to keep his word. Verse 16, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. Now, do you just see how thoroughly complicated that makes life? Did the Pharisee promise by the temple or the gold on the temple and which one is binding anyway? Why does he just say it as it is? If he promises, he promises. Now, it's that sort of thing that Jesus is dealing with as we go back to Matthew uh, chapter 5. And, uh, you see, as we go back to chapter 5, Jesus is saying, playing around with words like that has got to go. See, chapter 5, verse 34, don't swear, don't make oaths at all. Do you see the point? Deceitfulness or, or, or spin is out for the follower of Jesus Christ. Now that probably means that some of us will have to change some habits that we've got into. So you're late for work. You're late for work because you left late for work. What's the excuse? I got held up in traffic. Which technically is true, I suppose, because there was a slight hold up. There was a red light, just at the wrong time. But really, the truth of the matter is you'd have been late whatever the traffic, whatever the colour of lights, because you left late. And of course you can justify your words, you can tell yourself that you never tell lies, you did tell the truth, you did get held up in traffic, you told the truth, but it's not really truthful, is it? You've just lied, haven't you? You see, think about it as I have done while studying this passage, and you realise you do it a lot more than you like to admit. So you're invited out to something you'd rather not go to. And when you have, an in, have no intention of going, you say, I'll make it if I can. No, you won't. You've already decided you won't go. And so like the Pharisees, we, we, we play word games. And then we convince ourselves that we're, we're truthful people. We tell the truth. We persuade ourselves that we kept law God's law, that we're honest people, really. But just like the Pharisees, we've missed the point of God's law. It's there to make us like God, the God who says what he means and means what he says. The Pharisees have made a mockery of the law. Do you see, in chapter 5, verse 33, they would keep oaths that were made to the Lord. But they would feel no obligation to keep any other promise that they made. And look what Jesus says to that in verse 34. Verse 34. I tell you, don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Jesus points, do you get it? Whenever you make an oath... The Lord is involved. See, they were saying, if I make a promise by, by the Lord, I've got to keep it, but not by anything else. Whenever you make an oath, the Lord is involved, because he is involved in the whole of life. Do you see here? He's seated in heaven, the earth is his footstool, and even the colour of your hair and mine are determined by the Lord. Unless, of course, you use Grecian 2000, I suppose. But you get the point. God is Lord of all. Everything Right down to the colour of your hair. And so, our being truthful must pervade every area of life. Don't think that it's all right to be a little less truthful in some areas than others. It's not. God is Lord of your workplace, He is. So, there are to be no dodgy dealings, no ethical gymnastics to justify your actions. God is Lord of relationships, so don't manipulate others with your words. And even down to sport, God is Lord of all, he's Lord of the sports field. So Christians, no cheating, no diving in the penalty area, no saying the ball was in when it was out, when it was in. That's just lying. Let's start calling it that, shall we? The Lord is Lord of all, so tell the truth all the time. That's what Jesus is saying. He's making it very, very plain and very simple for us. Now, before we move on to the second point, remember this is all about the spirit of the law. God's law was designed to reflect God's character. So, a word of caution, don't use this teaching to excuse yourself to be blunt and rude either. You see, I can imagine someone going away from tonight and saying to themselves, well, God tells us to tell the truth and then using that to justify themselves and being thoroughly unkind to someone else and saying, I'm just telling you the truth, just doing what God told me. We do that sort of thing. That's again just twisting it, isn't it? Anyway, we are to tell the truth in love. We mustn't use this law as an excuse for being cruel or hurtful. Uh, So the first point, fingers crossed, uh, the way of the Pharisee. Uh, The second point, straight talking the way of Jesus. We've seen it already there in verse 37. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Uh, Jesus is saying, Christian, be a straightforward, straight talking person. It needs to be obvious what you're saying. Say what you mean and mean what you say. We should be people of honesty and of integrity. People whose word is our bond. Your yes be yes and your no be no. Is that what you're known for? Do people know that when you say yes, you mean it? Some years ago now, I organised a birthday party for my brother. It was, um, it was his 40th, so it was kind of a big, big birthday bash. And um, a fair number of people I invited didn't reply as the time was drawing closer, so I, I called them. I, I called one couple that we'd been friends with for years, but, but hadn't spoken to for a little wee while. We chatted away, caught up on all the news, and, and I said, well, well, are you coming to, uh, to David's birthday party? It would help me with the catering to know. Oh, yes, we'll be there, said my friend. I put the phone down and I said to Caroline, They won't come. And sure enough, they didn't. Oh, they're not Christians. But you see, some people are like that. They say yes, but you're never sure they really mean it. In fact, fact, on the whole, you think they probably don't. The fact is what they say bears no relation to whether they'll do it or not. That's not appropriate for the follower of Jesus Christ. We need to live transparent lives, to be people of truth, because God is truth. We need to be people who keep our word, because God keeps his word. Let like your yes be yes and your no no. You, you see, this sort of thing even impinges on our good intentions. We have bought into the idea that good intentions are good in themselves. I, I intended to keep my promise. Oh, that's okay then. No, it's not. I intended to keep my promise is not good enough for the Christian. Because our lives are to reflect something of the Lord we follow, and our God is a promise keeping God, what a disaster if God had just had good intentions. See, so he'd written all these great promises in the Old Testament but didn't follow through. And then he says on Judgment Day, oh, yeah, I had intended to send Jesus to die for you on the cross, but <laughs> it doesn't really matter, does it? I had good intentions. What a disaster! Again, let's call them what they are. Good intentions that are not kept are broken promises. They are lies. Let's call them that, shall we? Verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no, no. So the office lies have got to go. The secretary who says the boss is out when he's in, but he doesn't want to be, that's got to go. The cleverly constructed sentence designed to leave you a way out, that's got to go. Uh, the little white lies, as we like to call them, they're out of bounds too. They are lies. Nothing little and white about them. Uh, so you know how it is. Someone asks you to go to something you'd really not rather not be at and you reply, I-, I won't be able to make that. I've got another urgent appointment. And all the while you're scratching your head thinking, and in a moment I'll remember what that other urgent appointment is. All that sort of deceitfulness is inappropriate for the follower of Jesus Christ. Just say it as it is. If you don't want to accept an invitation, say no, that's okay. Verse 37, let your no be no. But a word of caution. When you've said no to an invitation, don't start thinking of changing your no to a yes when a better offer hasn't arrived on Saturday night. Let your yes be yes, and if you don't want to do it, your no, no. Both are acceptable, just say it as it is, be be a straightforward, straight-talking person. And let me tell you what I think this also means. It means that exaggeration is out. You know the slants we put on our stories. I've heard myself doing it. As I've uh, told Caroline about the events of the day and the conversations I've had, I always manage to recall the the events and conversations in a way that leaves me in a better light. It's funny, that not it? Oh, I do tell the truth, but it's the way that I tell the story. It always makes me sound bolder than I really was, or kinder than I really am. It always makes my position sound more reasonable than it actually is. Exaggeration has got to go. It's just a form of lying. Should we call it that? As is flattery. Be sure of this. Flattery is terribly deceitful. Flattery is saying things that aren't true in order to butter people up, usually to get something out of them. So they like me, they'll listen to me, they'll follow me. It's really what's going on with flattery. Please let's get the difference uh, uh, clear between flattery and encouragement. Encouragement is about telling the truth to build others up. Flattery is making things a little larger than they are to get others to like me or even to follow me. Encouragement benefits the receiver. Flattery benefits the speaker. Encouragement builds others up. Flattery is given really to build me up. It's manipulative. It's to get you to listen or to follow me. It's not appropriate for the Christian. Verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no no. See, straight talking, that's the way of Jesus. Tell the truth. For we follow one who is the truth. We claim to be people who have the truth. So we'd better start speaking the truth all the time. And even when it won't leave us in a good light. See, as I've been thinking about this this week, I've been asking myself, if I don't want to be a liar, and I don't, and I don't want to be called a liar, and I don't, and I know that lying is wrong, and I do know it's wrong, why is it that I'm so tempted to lie? in these ways. Why? That would be a good question to ask. There may be a number of answers to that, but I wonder if one big reason is that I'm so bothered about my reputation. Isn't that what it is? So when I've done something wrong, rather admit that I'm wrong, hold my hand up and say, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, I put a spin on the situation to protect my reputation. I can't bear to be seen to be in the wrong. I want everyone to think well of me. I want things to work out for my comfort. I want my way. That's why I lie, isn't it? The Christian evangelist Pete Woodcock makes the point. When I'm in a difficult situation, he says, I'm late for something very important. I think to myself, if I don't lie, people will think bad of me. I might even get the sack. It's for my good that I lie. I'll just say, the bus was late or I had cramp in my legs, or my bed exploded at night. I'll tell a lie to get me out of trouble because if I tell the truth, I'm going to get in trouble. Do you see what happens when I'm tempted to lie? I'm wanting to keep my reputation intact, or or I'm wanting to enhance my reputation, to exalt myself, or to prove myself, to have everything for myself. It's all about me. Self-protection, self-advancement, self-preservation, me, me, me. And all of that, when we are starting to unpick what's really going on underneath it, all points to the third thing that Jesus says. You see, be a straight talker is what Jesus says because behind all this double talk is the devil. So again, verse 37, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So, fingers crossed, the way of the Pharisees, straight talking the way of Jesus and thirdly, forked tongue. The way of the devil. In John chapter 8, verse 44, I put the reference on the uh, handout. Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. See, the devil is the one behind all lying and all lies. That's what he's saying. And you realize when Satan lies, things are destroyed. Think back to Genesis chapter 3. Satan's lies were catastrophic. He lied about God's word. He said to Eve, you will surely not die. Even though God had said they would die if they ate of the tree, you, you will not surely die. And what happened through Satan's life? Just one little, life, little white lie. Death came. Relationships were ruined. Everything was destroyed. The world is on this sort of a, a one-way track to Destruction. Andrew Reese describes uh, Satan's lie as a cataclysmic wrecking ball. That's what it is, isn't it? That's lies. His lie ruins life. He never makes life better. Lies never make life better. And Jesus says in verse 37 that Satan is behind all of them. Do you see the point? Follow Satan's ways, and everything is ruined. Oh, at a very basic level, uh, life is always more stressful and complex if you start getting into this lying business. But uh, when the evil one gets us to speak with a forked tongue, it leads to endless rules as we 've seen it complicates life but uh, when we 're on the receiving end of double speak we 're all the time wondering do they mean it or not it 's very complicated isn 't it and we're the, when we 're the ones twisting the truth all the time we 're having to remember what we said and then make sure we tell the same story the next time and make sure we're using just the right words so to leave a way out. Lying weaves a a web, a tangled web that is very hard to undo. It just complicates life. But if your yes is always yes and your no always no, life is very straightforward, isn't it? You just say it as it is. So as we we close, let's be honest with ourselves this evening. You see, none of us Wants to be called a liar, but let's call a spade a spade, shall we? Okay, I exaggerate a little, and no, you're a liar. Oh, I had good intentions. No, you didn't keep your promises. Oh, you old flatterer. No, you old liar. They're just little white lies. No, they come from the devil. You see, it's far more ingrained than we realise, isn't it? And that is why we need to remember what we've been trying to remember all the way through this series. At the heart of all of this is the grace of God. We are saved by grace. Here is the Lord, up the mountain, giving the law, not to help people to be saved, but to the people who already are saved. We are made right with God through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. What a relief that is tonight as once again we realise how sinful we are. If you are tempted as a Christian just to think, do I really need Jesus' death? I'm quite a nice person, aren't I? I hope all this stuff has done away with all that nonsense. No, we are thoroughly in need of the death of Jesus. And thank God that he sent Jesus to die for you we should rejoice in God's grace and his free forgiveness this evening. We should celebrate the good news of the gospel. Now, this stuff doesn't make me a Christian. But here's the point. As one who has been saved, as one who has benefited from the amazing death of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a Christian, I want to live this. Because, you see, this is the depth of Christian discipleship. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Rise above deceitfulness. And as we live this way, in a world of duplicity, it will be noticed. And so Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Well, let me just leave a moment of silence for you to make your own response to the Lord. I guess there'll be one or two or maybe a few things that um, we've been challenged by. Let's underline it, perhaps in our notes or or in our mind, and respond to the Lord in an appropriate way if we've been challenged uh, to live differently, to talk differently, to respond differently. Heavenly Father, we sang just before we looked at your word this evening that the scriptures are true as steel, far more sharp than any sword. They pierce where soul and spirit join. We've known the truth of that tonight. And we pray that that piercing feeling would do two things. Firstly, make us run back to the Lord Jesus with great thankfulness for the gospel. And then as we see the depth of our sin and the glory of the cross, um, that it would make us so thankful for all that you've done for us, that we would long to be living differently in the future. May we be a people of honesty, of integrity, of straight speaking, speaking the truth but always in love, May we be a community that is known for living that way. And we pray that as we do increasingly speak the truth in every situation we find ourselves in, because you are Lord of all, that people would want to know why we live that way and that they would run themselves to the Lord Jesus and glorify you, our Father in heaven, in whose name we pray. Amen.